thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to The Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about sleep deprivation, mental health and bipolar disorder and to identify if there is any link. And to talk more about this topic, I have a very special guest on the call today, Dr. Erin Mahalik, who is joining us all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. Erin is the founder and leader of CRESPD, which is a team of researchers who are working together to study psychosocial issues in bipolar disorder. She's an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and her background is in psychology, where she was awarded a PhD from the University of Wales College of Medicine in the United Kingdom. Erin has published over 80 scientific articles, several books and book chapters, and she lives on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia, where she is an avid mushroom hunter and breeder of giant schnauzers, which I'm really quite curious about. So to tell us more about sleep deprivation, mental health and bipolar disorder, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Erin. Audra, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to join you. Oh, it's fabulous. It's Yeah, it's great. And um, actually, you're my second Canadian guest that I've interviewed. So I'm feeling like a bit of a Canadian connection. (laughs) I think I'm your first West Coast Canadian. Isn't that right? The first person was in Halifax, which is way over the other side of the country. Yes, you're actually, you're absolutely right. It is. Yeah. So which is slightly closer time zones to us here in Australia. So um, it's worked out a little bit better. But yeah, but look, thank you so much, um, Erin, for joining joining me today because I know we are on different time zones and it's late in the afternoon for you right now, but you're here joining me on the podcast. So I really do appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to interviewing you because I guess mental health and well-being in whatever form that may be is not openly discussed um, due to either the stigma attached to it or the potential discrimination that people face as a result of letting others know that they're struggling. But I'm sure you're going to go into um, more detail about that as we go along. So I'll just kick off the interview, Erin, and, and ask um, you know, if you could share with our listeners, who is Dr. Erin Mahalik and what led you to pursue a career as a research psychologist? Well, I guess the answer to that is kind of double-barreled. First of all, much like you probably, Audra, I just find um, psychology and mental health really intrinsically interesting. Mm. You know, it isn't the case that I wonder about what study I'll be doing next. It's more the, the, you know, there being so many shiny things and there's so many important topics in mental health research to tackle. So there's that side of the science of it. Um, but also for me, you know, it's also more personal. I, I think there are very few people in my family history that I know of that have been touched in some way by mental health challenges. And so I grew up knowing that I had a heavy genetic predisposition to experiencing these things at some point. I think that probably, you know, it probably is not such an altruistic interest as well, and that there is a certain kind of um, need and desire to build resiliency and knowledge around what we can do to protect ourselves from mental health challenges as, as they crop up for many of us. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's actually really interesting. So uh, I guess it's your own personal journey as well that kind of brought sort of sparked your interest. So would that be right, Erin? 
Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when you look back at many of the women and, and several of the men in my family history, we, you know, kindly would have called them um, uh, kind of eccentric or mm-hmm. colorful. <laughs> if yeah. we were to be stigmatizing, we use a different yeah. language around that. So it's certainly something that I have a, you know, a heavy family history of. Yeah, so it's definitely, there's definitely a genetic predisposition for things like that, then that's what you're saying. Well, there is, but they're really, you know, perhaps one of the most important messages to think of in terms of, you know, busting stigma around mental health conditions Mm. is that genes don't dictate everything of who we are. There's so much that we can do in terms of our environment, in terms of coping and self-management techniques that can really dictate, um, you know, whether that, that genetic predisposition will bear full fruit, so to speak. So there's lots of power that we have to change the course of our genes or to impact the course of our genes as well. Mm. well that's really encouraging. So you, we're basically you're saying that we have, uh, I guess, pa- a bit of you know power in uh, preventing or triggering certain things happening. Yeah, and avoiding those triggers for certain mm. mental Fabulous. Okay. Well, the reason I'm I'm really glad to have you on the Healthy Shift Worker podcast, Erin, is that a lot of shift workers struggle with mood disorders in various forms and in different in differing degrees, whether that be stress, anxiety, depression. Um, and for shift workers, you know, I guess the ongoing disruption to our sleep-wake cycle is an important risk factor for this decreased mood, um, which can lead to mental health conditions such as bipolar uh, disorder. But from your own clinical experience, can you share with us your own insights um, into sleep deprivation and how it can lead to mood disorders? Sure, sure. You know, so my specialist area of interest is this condition, bipolar disorder, which, as you mentioned, is a type of mood disorder. Um, and you know, the important thing to know about that is that it's characterized by both highs and lows in mood. So depression and then something, you know, that, it, it, that we would call mania or hypomania. And what we know about research from bipolar disorder is that there's a really clear link between sleep deprivation and the condition. Um, However, it's a bit chicken or egg. Mm. So, and this probably isn't news to you, right? Maybe mm. it's the same with depression as well. But first of all, people with bipolar disorder are really, really sensitive to changes in their sleep patterns. Um, one of the most powerful things that they can do in terms of self-care or self-management strategies is stabilize sleep routines. So it's a real you know, linchpin to mood stability and bipolar disorder. So there's that part of it, you know, the idea of, um, you know, sleep loss being a trigger. Mm. And the other thing to really be aware of is that reductions in need for sleep are a symptom of bipolar disorder. So for people to, and this is really, really pronounced more when people are getting up into those elevated mood states of hypomania or mania. One of the key signs of that that's most consistent across people is the decreased need for sleep as they start to rev up and move into those elevated mood states. So to recap, you know, sleep loss um, and reduction is a trigger potentially for onset of mood episodes and bipolar disorder, but it's also a symptom that you're going up as well. And it's important to keep those two things in mind. So you're saying that um, people can actually begin to function or run on like limited sleep, three or four hours? Is that what you're saying, Erin? Well, let me give you a, con- a kind of concrete example of this within within relation to bipolar disorder. Um, it's important to know, first of all, in bipolar disorder that, you know, 
highs and lows in mood aren't abnormal. Most of us experience periods where we're feeling a bit up, a bit mm. down. Many people with bipolar disorder have um, not the more severe ends of the spectrum of, of the condition, but they'd be, we would say that they're on the bipolar spectrum somewhere. Um, my husband is a great example of this. So he, he wouldn't be diagnosed with full-blown bipolar disorder, but he's certainly a bit more kind of up and down in his moods than the average person. He's also somebody, you know, he can function on four or five hours of sleep fairly well. Me, you know, not so much. <laughs> there are people, and you know, who, ma who can manage and function with, you know, the, those lower levels of sleep. It's a very kind of individual thing. But I think for many of us, um, you know, we fall in the range where we can manage for a while with some sleep loss, but you incur a debt over time yeah. and that it can be more and more difficult to, you know, cope with stressful life events, to keep your family life functioning, that sort of stuff when you're continually running in a sleep deprived state. Yeah, look, I think um, our listeners will be able to resonate uh, with that sleep debt comment that you made because we often just feel like we just can never catch up and it just compounds, particularly depending on what type of shift you're doing. You know, we might do a, a quite a lot of six or seven day stretches of earlies and it's just really hard to kind of get, you know, catch up and you can have so many naps, but you're still behind the eight ball. And yeah, no, you do, you just start to just not feel right. It, and you just your behavior uh, changes your mood mood changes and sometimes we say and do things that we don't ordinarily do but you know a lot of that's because of the sleep deprivation right and that irritability piece i think mm. is a real key one there because we do get irritable when we're sleep deprived yeah. you know you you snap at your partner, mm. you snap at your kids when you wouldn't mm. do normally. And this has a knock-on effect, right? Because then, you know, it damages your relationships a bit and, you know, and, and it all kind of feeds into itself. And so you get that kind of snowball impact of the biological consequences of sleep reduction, but then also the psychological consequences of that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just all so interrelated, isn't it? It's, it's Yeah, it's just fascinating. And I guess um, I'm just leading into that. Um, as shift workers, our bodies uh, become that biologically stressed because of uh, also addition to the constant exposure to light when, you know, during those times when we're meant to be sleeping. And this causes our nervous systems to go in that uh, sympathetic dominant mode, that fight or flight response. Can you share your thoughts on how that light and darkness can disrupt our mood as well, Erin? Sure, sure. And I bet, you know, many of your listeners, listeners are aware of this relationship. Um, you know, the, the term that's used in science is circadian rhythms, which actually comes from the Latin. If you unpack it, the beginning of the word, the circa, means about, around. And the second part, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> dia is around a day. So most humans run on about a 24-hour give or take biological clock or cycle. The most important thing that keeps our body clocks entrained or on track is light. So for people who are functioning in, you know, outside of shift work, you maybe get up around the same time of day, you have your first do dose of light exposure in the morning. Um, you know, you go to bed and you, you cease your light exposure at a regular time at night. For those of us doing shift work, um, that's really disrupted, particularly for those of us, um, like my husband, going back to his example again, he's a shift worker, but he does one of the hardest routines, I think, on on his body clock, which is you know, two days on, two days off, 
two 12-hour days, two 12-hour nights, and then three days to catch up, and then he's back into that cycle again. So he's mm. continually you know, running behind his body clock or it doesn't really, a lot of the time I think his body clock really doesn't know where it is at all on that kind of a, on that kind of a schedule. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Okay. Also, your husband is a shift worker too. So, wow, we really do have a bit of a connection there <laughs> as, as well. So, I mean, I have friends actually that do similar patterns to that actually, it is, but uh, a lot of like four on, four off. So, um, and yeah, and they're 12 hour days. Your husband does 12 hour days as well? He does, yeah. So that's, you know, with travel time, 13 or 14 hours of the day. So it doesn't leave much room for other things, including all the stuff that we know we should be doing, right? Eating well, exercising, getting good social contact. That those are the other kind of psychological impacts that we were talking about earlier. It's hard to kind of fit in those self care activities in that kind of, in that kind of a shift work schedule. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, you hit the nail on the head uh, when you're referring to the social aspect too, because I know uh, for shift workers, we are really vulnerable to falling into the, the, I guess, that trap of um, loneliness and isolation because we are become, I guess, or feel like these kind of weird nocturnal animals where, you know, we can't always go out and do all the normal social functions that our nine to five friends do, you know, every Friday night and the weekends and stuff. And and we can, you know, say, you know, have to decline, you know, all these invitations after a while and it does wear us down and you kind of do feel a little bit alone, which is why I think it's really important. And I know um, that it was very much prevalent in my workplace, fortunately, is that we kind of, um, the shift workers themselves become a bit like a family, like we all become quite close and we kind of tend to socialise with other shift workers for that reason because, you know, we can, um, you you know, and look, there's a lot of benefits to that because we know we can socialise in the middle of the week and go to the beach, um, you know, and sit in the beach when our nine to five cousins are slaving away in the office, which is, um, you know, definitely a perk from it. But it's, I think you've made a really good point. I think the social thing is just really important that we, um, you know, maintain that social connections because we are very, you know, as human beings, we're social creatures. That's right. That's right. And it, it, what you said made me realize another important point that's probably worth sharing as well is that, you know, when we mentioned earlier about light being mm-hmm. one of the main things that keeps our body clocks on track, mm-hmm. there are other things that really act as those time givers as well, um, including things like social contact exercise, maybe even the times that we eat. And so looking at having regularity, especially if you're somewhere on the bipolar disorder spectrum, in those other types of time givers is also important. So if you're going to go out with your friends um, for a meal or say you say you go with a friend each day for a dog walk, doing that particular activity around a similar time of the day when um, you're you know, especially if you're living with bipolar disorder and you can be a bit kind of more random in terms of your activities through the day, can be helpful in terms of keeping you on track. Mm, okay, I like that. Yeah, exercise is just incredibly important as well. That's We could t- talk the whole podcast just about exercise. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay, that's fabulous. So what, um, what would be your key piece of advice or tips for our listeners on how they could manage their mood and overall health when we've got that sleep deprivation and, and haphazard exposure to light and darkness as a, as a way of life that we can't necessarily change? You know, 
Going back to the shift worker piece, you know, it's obviously really critical to look at the individual shift workers' patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of things you can do around light exposure that could help. So if you're on regular nights and in the summer, for example, if you're driving home at a time when the sun is up already, you know, wearing glasses that restrict the amount of light you're getting first thing in the morning can help. It's not such an issue in the winter when you might be driving home in the dark, Mm -hmm. but particularly thinking about light exposure that is going to kind of even tiny amounts of light. It's interesting. We know from animal studies that even the smallest amount of light can mess up your body clock. So, you know, wearing really good glasses that wrap around blackout curtains, um, you know, thinking about just really kind of monitoring your exposure to light during those times. You know, from a psychological perspective as well, we've talked a bit about um, the other stuff, the stuff outside of sleep, you know, and um, and the biological things that we can do and really prioritizing those self-care activities can be key. So you make it as important to spend time with fam- family and friends to have leisure time as you do, you know, to schedule in work during the day, so it, it, during the week. So you're actually scheduling in and prioritizing stuff that's around self-care and giving it the same weight that you're giving in, you know, your work life in some ways. Oh, I love that, Erin. Yeah, I love that because we it's can hard be, to do. Yeah, absolutely. It is hard to do. And, and you know, so much of it, we feel like we're on this grind of work, 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 that a lot of that does get pushed to the side. And by scheduling it, though, as you said, that makes it just so much more achievable because you're, yeah, you're prioritizing it, as you said. You are. And I find it helpful to remember that if, um, you know, I let myself get so emotionally ill or physically ill from working too hard, then I'm no good at work to anybody because I won't be working. I'll be off sick. And so it's actually, you know, good work ethic to make sure that I have time away from my phone, you know, that's absolutely offline doing whatever is important for me in terms of self-care. Mm, and that's obviously no doubt hanging out with your giant schnauzers. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> as, one, as one way of coping mechanism. Yeah, and I love that. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. So I guess um, what's been the biggest lesson you've learnt um, about mood disorders and bipolar disorder through your practice? Because this has been your life for many, many years. You know, I think the most important thing to share with people um, is that health and quality of life is possible, even with the more severe types of mood disorders. You know, when somebody's just been diagnosed with depression or bipolar disorder, you go on the internet and you start to look for information around it. And a lot of what you'll find is very negative in terms of the tone, in terms of the messaging. We miss an important part of that, which is that we can live well with these conditions. Often it takes a lot of work, a lot of, you know, learning and trial and error but it's possible and feasible. And self-care and self-management strategies are really critical to likelihood of success in that. Mm, any, um, I guess any other specific self-care strategies that you've found that has worked? Like, um, and, and also, I guess, thinking outside the square here, I'm just thinking uh, maybe like things like acupuncture or hypnotherapy or any of those sort of alternative therapies. Have you sort of found any of that works for some people? We actually just finished a really big project where we looked at people internationally and talked to them about the self-care strategies they, that they use to keep balance in mood with bipolar disorder and the, those that they use to stop getting up into elevated mood states. And, um, you know, one of the really interesting things that came out of that for me was the idea of, uh, we called it hope reinforcing behaviors. It's actually kind of 
you know, reminding yourself when you are going through periods that it isn't always going to be like this, that, you know, mm. bad days pass. And there's, a, you know, a psychological set of care strategies self-care strategies that are really important and then on top of that we had you know the ones that you would expect you know watching alcohol consumption getting enough sleep connecting with other people yeah 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 oh okay yeah sure because that that feeling of helplessness or hopelessness is is what I guess does spiral people out of control because they feel like there is no end and that they um yeah they just can't find a way out I guess yeah, and remembering perhaps the last time that you felt like that. And, you know, mostly we do find a way out, a way through that. And mm-hmm. it's interesting when you're in that mood state because it's being flavored typically by depression. And mm-hmm. depression tells you a whole bunch of lies, right? It tells you, you know, it makes you see and feel things differently from how you would do when you're in a normal mood state. So remembering that it may be the depression talking and remembering that there's usually, a you know, a, a light on the other side of that. Um, can help people in that recovery process, I think. Wow, I haven't actually heard that um, said that way, I guess, Erin, um, when you're saying that the depression is talking. So it's that that negative self-talk and self-doubt mm-hmm. going through your head. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, so that would be the core premise of cognitive behavior therapy, teaching yeah. you to be conscious of the facts when you're thinking in a certain way that it may be the depression that's, flavoring and coloring that thinking style that you're having and not necessary to believe it to challenge it a little bit mm, that's fascinating wow okay i'm loving it <laughs> all right um so i guess i'm going to just I guess change the topic um a little bit here but i just want to ask what your favorite um holiday destination is and and why um Aaron, <laughs> as a as a canadian <laughs> no, if you'd asked if you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have cited off. I'm, I'm lucky; I get to travel quite a lot. But you know, I would have cited off all these countries. You know, international travel I would have wanted to do. But right now, uh, for me, it's we have a, a, a truck and a camper van that sticks on the back of the truck, and we have two giant schnauzers and three Bengal cats. We <laughs> pile them all into the back of the camper. We head for the local lake. Uh, ideally, find a spot that has no Wi-Fi. And then we hang out there and fish with the cats and the dogs for a couple of days offline. That was my ideal holiday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that sounds like my husband's ideal holiday too as well. But he struggles to take me camping. But your camping sounds like what we would refer to as glamping. <laughs> well, we don't have snakes either, Audra, so it probably makes a difference. Uh, <laughs> but you've got grizzly bears. <laughs> Not in this part of the wood, just little brown ones. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, very good. Hey, the cats and the dogs all get along. There's no. Yeah, that's, yeah, they do. Yeah, they're a great breed of cats and a great breed of dogs. And they, they, I think they actually all think that they're cats or dogs. They don't see a separation there. <laughs> oh, wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> I love it. That's, that sounds like happy furry family. <laughs> <laughs> Of everyone there. So, yeah, that's great. Well, um, this has been really interesting, Erin. So how can people find you if they're wanting to learn more about you and, um, you know, Crest BD? And I believe that you ha- actually even have like a wellness center set up as well. Uh, do you have a we- blog or somewhere where people can go to? 
We do. Thanks for asking that question. So we have a really rich um, website, which is www.bdwellness.com. That houses the very best of the science on ways for self-managing bipolar disorder. And our main website is www.crestbd.ca. Fantastic. So that um, you've obviously got a few uh, videos in that that people can watch on that Wellness Centre website. Is that right? do. We're actually funded by the Canadian government as what we would call a knowledge translation network. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of our MO, producing uh, videos, blogs, as you mentioned earlier, social media outputs, really just trying to take lots of different ways to help people who are facing mental health challenges get to the information they need in the way that they want. Well, that's brilliant. That sounds like a, a really, really, really valuable uh, resource, that's for sure. So, look, thank you so very much for joining me today, Erin. It's been really insightful talking to you and incredibly informative, and I'm sure our listeners have certainly got a new perspective on mental health as a whole, along with, you know, the bipolar specifically, and feel encouraged knowing that there's a lot of different avenues for help um, that people can go to um, if they may be struggling. It was a sheer pleasure to spend some time with you, Audra. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So that's it for today's edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback and there are many ways you can do this via my Facebook page, The Healthy Shift Worker, through my website, healthyshiftworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit. And you can also leave us a five-star rating in the iTunes store, which will enable me to help spread the healthy shift worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world. If you'd like to access, uh, sorry, if you'd like to access more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be, despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.